Good morning. Great to see you guys today, and I'm glad that fall decided to join us too. And this weather has been extremely hot lately, but today, well, really the past couple of days, we've gotten a great introduction to fall. So I hope you guys have, have enjoyed that. I know I certainly have. If, uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in James chapter 2, as, as Bob read for us earlier. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to, to open those up to James chapter 2. For those who don't know me, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am thrilled to be sitting with you this morning, diving into God's Word together. And so if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing is really just going through the book of James. Just walking through this book, seeing what God can teach us through his word. Through a book that many scholars believe is the first book that was ever written in the New Testament. And so we just want to spend some time looking at it. We want to spend some time allowing it to craft our lives. And so my prayer, my hope is that all of us today walk out of this room looking more like Jesus and loving God even more. And so James chapter 2 is where we're going to be in order to help us do that. So how do you determine the difference between fact and fiction? So when I was growing up, something that was really big was something called AIM, or AIM. So it stood for, I think, AOL Instant Messenger. And so if you want to know what it is, just think texting on your computer. So when I was in middle school, the cool thing to do was to come up with a very unique screen name and then to log into AIM and then spend hours just talking to your friends, right? We didn't have cell phones the way that people do today. And so our best way to communicate was through AIM. And so for hours, we'd sit on our computer. We would talk about what was going on in school. We would talk about the recent crushes that we have in our lives and whatever else came to our mind. And so one of these days, as I'm sitting online talking to my friends, I receive a random message from a girl my age named Catherine. And Catherine used to live in Georgia, which is where I'm from, but at this point she had moved to Washington, D.C. And so we just started talking. And we kept talking. And eventually we talked enough where we started sending, what was cool back then was you would send pictures to each other because, you know, FaceTime wasn't popular, so you wanted to know what the person looked like that you spoke to, even if you hadn't met them. So you'd send pictures to each other and say, hey, you look like this, I look like this, cool, we both look like humans, right? This is nice. And then over time, me and Catherine's friendship got to be so close that eventually we wrote letters to each other. That was not popular back then. Um, but we did it. We would send letters to each other. And, and I remember a very specific letter that she sent me because it was a picture of her and her family in the Oval Office. So a really neat picture. And so for over a year, Catherine and I just had this long-distance friendship where we would talk to each other. Sometimes we'd write to each other. And we just kind of built this friendship. Until one day, something very exciting happened. Catherine was coming back to Georgia. I think she was coming to town to visit family. And so this became our opportunity to finally meet, to finally interact with each other. And so we set up a time for her and her friend and for me and my friends to go to the movies and to hang out. And if you're wondering, like, where my parents were through, like, all of this, I am too. I'm not not too sure. Not too sure why they were allowing this to happen, but they did. And, and, and so we set up this time for all of us to go to the movies and to hang out. 
And I remember, you know, I walk into this movie theater, and right, this is something I have been waiting for for a while. Right, I was finally going to get to meet this friend that I had been talking to from a distance. And so we get to the movies, and when I walk in, and I saw Catherine standing there, I won't ever forget it. Because the person who was in that movie theater was not the person in the pictures she sent me. It was somebody different. And I found out all that time that we were talking, all those pictures that she was sending me, even the one of her in the Oval Office, actually wasn't her. It was her cousin. Right? So in this moment, I realized that Catherine all this time had been pretending to be somebody else, or at least to look like somebody else. And even as like a middle schooler, this wasn't even something that made me mad. Honestly, I was just confused. I was confused why she felt like she had to do this. Why she had to act like she looked like somebody else. Because I would have been friends with her either way. But this really weird story about me meeting this girl, pretending to be somebody she's not, actually teaches us a very important lesson. And it's that often fact and fiction run together. Often what's true and often what's not can run so close together that it's hard for us to tell what's actually genuine. Because that's exactly what happened to me. Because Catherine was a real girl, my age, who really lived in Washington, D.C. Those were facts. But the problem was she didn't look like the person that she claimed she looked like. That was the fiction part. But these things ran so close together in my relationship with her. And honestly, a story like this really isn't that surprising because often in our lives, we just kind of expect for fact and fiction to run together, especially when we meet a random person on the internet. But you know where we don't expect these two things to run together? Our faith. But based upon the passage that we're going to look at today, we see that they can Because what we're going to see today is that the difference between a faith that is real and a faith that is not can run so close together that it's hard for us to distinguish between the two of them. Which means we might think that our faith is real, that it's fact, but in actuality, it's really fiction. So, of course, this leads to a very important question If fact and fiction so often run together, how do we know which one we are? And we're going to ask James that question and have him answer it for us. So let's begin reading in James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. And let's see what God can teach us today. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them says to them, excuse me, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we see here that James is writing to some people who are mixing 
fact and faith, excuse me, fact and fiction when it comes to their faith. Because what they believe is that they can separate what they do from what they believe. Or as James says, their faith and their works. But he points out that this is a problem. And he does so by using this analogy. He says, if you see somebody that you know who needs clothes and needs something to eat, and you walk up to them and you say, look, I want you to know that I see how much you're in need right now. And I really, really, really hope that you get some clean clothes and a good meal real soon. Okay, good talk. I got to get going now. I just bought some new clothes I want to try on, and I got to get home before the Chick-fil-A gets cold. All right, see you later. Right? James says, if you do that, even though your words might seem nice, even though they might seem like you care, in actuality, your words aren't genuine. Because in that moment, you're not doing something to help that person. And so James uses this analogy to say the same thing is true when it comes to our faith. There has to be both believing and doing. And in order to really prove his point even further, James uses another example. And we see that in verse 18 when we keep reading. He says, But some of you will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So James once again wants to show that just believing isn't enough. And he does so by talking about a famous Old Testament passage. Because when he says there, you believe that God is one, he's actually referring to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Something called the Shema. Now the Shema was like the John 3.16 of Judaism in this day. And what I mean when I say that is that every Jew would have known this verse. Right? Every Jew would have known this confession and they all would have believed it. And James understands because he is writing to Jewish Christians that this is something that all of them who are reading this letter would have believed was true about God, that God was one. And because James knows this, he uses this confession to show them the problem. Because by bringing up the Shema, what James basically says is, okay, you guys believe that God is one. Great. But guess what? So do demons. So congratulations. Good job. You're in the same category as those who hang out with Satan. And this seems kind of harsh and it seems kind of pointed, but that's what James is trying to do. Because through this example and through the example that James uses earlier, he's trying to make something crystal clear. And it's that when it comes to our faith, believing is unfinished. That's what James is trying to point out. That when it comes to our faith, believing is unfinished. And what I mean by that is having the right knowledge is only one step in the process. It's a good step, and we all agree it's a necessary step, but it's only one step. Just believing that something is true isn't enough. As James says, it's unfinished. You have to have something else. 
And this passage that we're looking at today is actually a very timely passage for us in our culture today. Because we actually have a lot more in common with these people that James is writing to than we might initially think. And here's why. Because there's a pastor in Dallas, Texas, excuse me, Texas, not Dallas, Texas, called Matt Chandler. He's the head of a large church called the Village Church. It's an SBC church. And he talks about this idea in our culture called intellectualism. And this is what intellectualism says. It's not important that you remember what the word is, but it is important you know what it says. It says to know is to be transformed. Or our culture says if you have the right knowledge about something, that knowledge will transform you. It will change you. It will change how you act. It will change how you think. It will transform you. It will change who you are. That to know is to be transformed. And if you want to see how this kind of practically works out in our culture, think about this. If we have somebody in our culture that we think has an outdated belief or they think something that's kind of out of touch with reality, we'll say things like, you know, that person just needs to be educated. Right? And what do we mean when we say that? We say as long as that person receives the right information, then they're going to change their point of view. Then they're going to be transformed. So we just need to educate them. We just need to help them see the right perspective, and then that will change them. This idea is even why we get on Facebook and we get in arguments with people. Something that many of us, if not all of us, have been guilty of. Because what do we think? We think if this person just knows what I know, if they just have the type of information that I have, then they'll think the way that I do. Then they'll agree with me. Because to know is to be transformed. So in our culture, we really believe that knowledge is the key to changing somebody. As long as they know the right information, then they'll be changed. But here's the issue. Unfortunately, to know doesn't always transform. And Matt Chandler talks about an amazing example to prove his point. He talks about the speed limit. Because we all know the speed limit. But it hasn't transformed us. Right? Unless we see a cop down the road, then we become a very devout follower. But otherwise, if we're honest, we just look at the speed limit like a suggestion, right? Something that we need to probably stay within the range of, but we don't look at it as something that we have to follow exactly. Because to know doesn't automatically transform. It doesn't give us everything that we need. It falls short. To know is unfinished. And here's how all of this connects to what we're talking about today. Because when James is writing to these people, he's writing to a culture that's really not much different than ours. Because this idea that to know is to be transformed has also crept into what I call deep south cultural Christianity. And so we live in this deep south cultural Christianity, and what it says is as long as you just know, as long as you just believe, 
everything that the Bible says about Jesus. As long as you know that he's God's son, that he died for your sins, and that he rose from the dead, then you're good. Because you've been transformed by him. You're a Christian, period. No questions asked. As long as you know all those things and you believe them to be true. But as James points out in this passage, that's not true. Because even the demons believe all of those facts about Jesus. But they're not his followers. In fact, the whole point that James is making in our passage is to know doesn't automatically transform. Right doctrine doesn't save you. But because we live in a culture that says that it does, there are so many people who are walking around who claim to be Christians and who think they are because they believe all the right stuff. Because they have all the right knowledge. And here's why this is so scary. Because what that means is because of this mindset, there are so many people walking around who think that they're good with God, and they're not. They think that their sins are forgiven, but they aren't. And they think that they're going to spend eternity in heaven, but they won't. Because when they stand before Jesus, he's going to look at them and say, can you get out of here because I don't know you. That's why this is so scary. Because even though these people had all the right information, even though they believed all the right facts, it wasn't enough because just believing is unfinished. To know doesn't always transform. And so this idea of intellectualism that is so popular in our culture has made its way into our lives. And it's caused facts and fiction to run so close together that there are people who claim to be Christians and they can't distinguish the difference between the two. They think they're believers, but they're not. And they think that they have a faith that's genuine, but it's actually dead, and they don't even know it. So this obviously begs the question, how do we know? How do we know that our faith is genuine? How do we know that we've really been transformed by Jesus? And the good news for us is that James tells us that as we continue to read. So let's begin reading in verse 20 together. James says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This is why I love this part of the passage, because James finally answers the question that we asked at the beginning. How do you determine the difference between fact and fiction? And the answer is proof. 
How you ever distinguish the difference between fact and fiction is always proof, right? Catherine could not offer proof that she really looked like the person in the photos. That's how I knew it was fiction. The way that we determine fact and fiction is proof. And James tells us here what the proof is when it comes to our Christian life. And it's our actions. Our actions are the proof that our faith is genuine. And he uses the example of Abraham to show that. Because when God comes to Abraham and tells him, I want you to offer up your son Isaac, what does Abraham do? Right? He doesn't just sit around hoping God's going to change his mind. Right? He doesn't just walk really slowly hoping that in the process God's going to do something. Instead, he takes action. He takes steps to obey God. He goes to the mountain. He builds an altar. He puts his son on it, and he even pulls back the knife. Now, of course, we all know that eventually God tells him to stop. But all those action steps that Abraham took showed that his faith in God was real. It showed that his faith was genuine. What Abraham did confirmed what Abraham actually believed. And so by Abraham going through those steps, he showed that his faith was genuine and that he had been truly been transformed. And what's true about Abraham is true about us today. Our actions will show that our faith is real. And so if we in this room say that we follow Jesus, then our actions should follow after his. If you're a Christian in this room today, then you should look like Jesus with your life. How you live your life should reflect the person that you say that you follow. Because those who follow Jesus will act like Jesus. Those who follow Jesus will forgive those who have deeply hurt them. Not because they deserve it, but because they care more about showing grace than about giving, getting even. Those who follow after Jesus will strive to be kind to everybody always. Right? Even when we're irritated because that person cut us off when we're driving down 21. Or even when we feel inconvenienced because our server at lunch today got our order wrong. They always strive to be kind to people always, just like Jesus was. And those who follow after Jesus will also go out of their way to help other people, to help their siblings and their spouse and their friends and their parents and even strangers. And when they do, they won't get upset and they won't complain when they don't get anything back in return. Because those whose faith is genuine will look like Jesus because they've been truly transformed by him. And please notice as we're talking about all of this, about having a faith that is genuine, what we're talking about is showing proof, not showing perfection. Right? We're talking about the action in our life pointing to the fact that we follow Jesus. But don't confuse action with perfection. Because I know it's so easy to hear a sermon like this and start to look at your life and think of all the things you're not doing and automatically think that your faith is fiction. 
But don't confuse action with perfection. We're not talking about being perfect. What we're talking about is living a life that looks like Jesus. Because in the midst of all of this, what we can't forget is the gospel. What we can't forget is grace. What we can't forget is what was accomplished for us on the cross. And it's that Jesus lived a perfect life so that none of us have to. Right? Because of his sinless life, because of his sacrificial death, and because of his resurrection from the grave, he has done everything possible to save us. Right? Our salvation has already been accomplished in Jesus, but what we do now to show that we actually follow him, to show that our faith is genuine, is we just live a life that follows him. We just live a life that looks like him. And as Jesus says in John 14, that's what his disciples will do. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? If you genuinely love me, you'll want to obey me. You'll want to look like me. You'll want to live a life that reflects me. So that people look at you and they see me. That's what we're talking about. Is living a life where our actions show who we really follow. So even though fact and fiction often run together, James shows us here how we can separate the two. When it comes to our life, we can separate the two because how we act needs to match what we believe. If we really follow Jesus, if we really have a relationship with him, then our actions should show it. Or as James says in this passage, our works will prove that our faith is genuine. Because that's what this passage shows us, and that's what we walk away from this remembering, is that what you do is what you believe. How you live your life will really show what you believe and whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus. So as we wrap up our time together, here is the question I want all of us to ask. Is my faith fact or fiction? Is my faith fact or fiction? That's what I want us to ask. I want us to really look at our lives based upon what we've talked about, based upon this passage, and see whether or not our faith is fact or fiction. And if you're sitting here today and you're starting to wrestle with the idea that yours might be fiction, I want to throw out this word of encouragement to you. Right? Don't be embarrassed by that and don't be ashamed by that. Because again, we live in a culture that has a strong voice that tells us if we have all the right information, then we're good. So don't be embarrassed if that's you here today. Instead, talk to God about that. Tell him that you want a faith that is real. Ask him for forgiveness. Embrace grace. And choose to follow after Jesus today. And if you're a Christian in this room and this time you're starting to see that your faith is genuine, my prayer to you is that would be an encouragement to you. That when times of doubt come in your life, that this will bring you comfort. That you'll worship God better today, remembering that he did everything possible to save you. And that he's given you a faith that is real through the death of his son. And that you'll thank him, that you'll thank him for everything that he did to make your life possible.
and that you'll strive to live a life so that what you do shows the world what you really believe. For your good, but most importantly, for God's glory. So let's ask ourselves that question. Let's be honest. Is my faith fact or fiction? And then let's respond to Jesus in light of that. Let's pray.